morning, Christ Chapel. Wonderful to be with you. That, that flute ensemble was great. Way to go, flautists. You, you are flautists, correct? That's how you say that. I just want to check, just make sure. Uh, wonderful to be with you uh, this morning. Merry Christmas. Uh, if, if you're a family of out of town, I love that you've chosen to, to be with your family, but also with us uh, as well. Uh, this was a historic week, and probably not for the reasons that you're thinking of, but it was a historic week because this week, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas hit number one on the Billboard charts. Now, you say, what is so historic about that? Well, it wasn't that Mariah Carey has had number one hits before because she's had plenty of number ones. It wasn't even that it was the first holiday song to hit number one on the Billboard charts. That actually happened in 1958 with the Chipmunk song. <laughs> you know the Chipmunk song. It's pretty annoying. My, my boys love it. Shocker. What was historic about that hitting number one is it was released in 1994. It was the longest duration of any song in history from its release to hitting number one. That's what made it so historic. For 25 years, Mariah Carey was waiting for that song to hit number one. I actually don't think she was really waiting for it to hit number one. Supposedly, she actually doesn't even like singing the song. But man, it is catchy. You can't go into any store these days. It doesn't matter. You hear, da 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 you know. I mean, it is stuck in your head. It's stuck in my head uh, for sure. But, you know, it's all about this, this waiting. She waited 25 years for this to hit number one. And Christmas is a season of waiting. We're all waiting during this Christmas season, whether you're waiting to get out of town or you're waiting for someone to come in town, you're waiting to be with friends, you're waiting to be with family, you're waiting to see what's under the Christmas tree, maybe what gifts you've gotten. Kids are waiting to get out of school. Parents are waiting for school to start back up. You know, everybody is waiting. But here's one thing that I know with waiting is the longer you wait, the greater your expectations are. Waiting always creates expectations. And for instance, if you were waiting, let's say you shared your Christmas list with someone in May, then your waiting period has been so long that your expectations have grown. They've grown in uh, the detail of what you've wanted and in your hopes for what you would, would get. And when you wait for something that long, your expectations hopefully are met, hopefully exceeded, but oftentimes if you're waiting that long, your expectations are unmet because you just have unrealistic expectations. When you wait for something so long, the expectations can grow so Great. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, it's page 518. If you're opening one of the blue Bibles that's underneath your seat, you do need a copy of the scriptures and you do need some sermon notes because the scriptures of 130 aren't going to come up on the screen and there's going to be some portions that are on your sermon notes that won't come up on the screen either. Well, we're going to continue our series on the Psalms of Ascent and we've called this series Prepare Him Room. 
And the reason why is because we obviously want you to prepare room in your heart to worship Jesus this Christmas season, but we've specifically tied that with the Psalms of Ascent. Because remember, by way of review, the Psalms of Ascent, a psalm is a poem that was sung. Therefore, it is a song, S-O-N-G, but obviously we call them a collection of psalms. But Ascent, because these were songs that people would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem to worship. Now remember, if you haven't been to Israel, you need to go to Israel have to go. But if you went to Jerusalem today, you would notice that there are valleys all around the city of Jerusalem. And so anywhere you're coming from, you are ascending, you are going up from, from really anywhere in Israel. And so that's why we call these the Psalms of Ascent, because they're, they're going up. And this Psalm 130 is a great psalm of expectation. It's a psalm of expectation. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, what they were waiting for and how God responded. But what I would rather do is just go ahead and read through the psalm to give you some context first. So Psalm 130, just follow along with me. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, then, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. May God bless the reading of his word, and may we prepare room in our hearts to worship him as we hear and study his word today. Now, Psalm 130, again, is in that collection of Psalms of Ascent, 120, 134, and it's in that collection um, but it's an interesting psalm because it not only sits inside the collection of psalms of ascent, but it sits in a collection of penitential psalms or psalms of penance. Uh, when you wanted to repent or when you wanted to confess, then you went to Psalm 130 along with six other psalms. So it's in a collection of psalms of confession, of seven of them. So it's a very heavy psalm. It's, it's, a, it's one that, that you would read if you were deep in sin, and that's why it starts out, oh Lord, out of the depths I cry to you. This depth of sin, this depth of need is where these people started out. And that's what they were considering as they were ascending to Jerusalem to go and worship. Now, we talked about this, that they were ascending to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the temple was, where God was worshiped, but also where it was seen that, that God was dwelling. And Doug uh, Cecil mentioned this in the first sermon of this series, that they would go up, Israelites would go up to Jerusalem three times a year. And they went up for three annual feasts or festivals. Now, those three different ones were first the Passover feast. All of these correlated with a harvest, so they would take some of their, their harvest and, and offer that as an offering to the Lord. But the first time that they would go annually 
out of the three trips was to celebrate the Passover. Now, you remember what the Passover is. The Passover feast was celebrating how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Remember, they were being enslaved in Egypt. God sends Aaron and Moses to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, and so he sends these nine plagues, and it still doesn't get Pharaoh's attention. Finally, the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn, where the firstborn of humans and the firstborn of animals and livestock were all killed. And that spirit came over, that spirit of death came over Israel. And the only way that you could be made safe, that you could be safe, is if you painted your door with the blood of the lamb. And then that spirit would pass over your house. You would be unaffected by that spirit of death. And so he delivered his people through that, through that 10th plague. It finally got Pharaoh's attention. And so they would go annually to celebrate the Passover feast, that God had forgiven their sins and delivered them from slavery. The second festival that they would go up for was the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Weeks. It was, it was recorded that when they came out of Egypt, God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. You remember that? That he gave him the Ten Commandments. Now that you are my people, you no longer live under the rules of the Egyptians. Now I am going to give you the way that you relate to me and the way you should relate to one another through the Ten Commandments. So God reveals himself to Moses in such a way that, remember, Moses is glowing. He, he's, revealed, he's met with God face to face. He's glowing when he comes down from Mount Sinai. So they went up to celebrate God's revelation to Israel. The, the third one was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And what that celebrated was that God dwelled with them through their wanderings in the desert. If you'll remember, they wandered through the desert for 40 years but God dwelled with them. He led them by pillar of cloud during the day, pillar of fire at night. But he set up the tabernacle, this temporary shelter where they could meet with him, where he would be worshiped. Now he set up the, the temple in Jerusalem where they could worship him at this time. But they were going up three times a year annually. The first time, to celebrate God's forgiveness. The second time, to celebrate that God revealed himself to us. And the third time, God dwelled with us. God came to us to dwell amongst his people. So that's what's on everyone's mind as they're going up singing these psalms of ascent. But as they're going to meet with God, they have this Psalm 130, this psalm of confession, that in order to meet with God, you need forgiveness. In order to meet with God, you need him to reveal himself to you, and you need him to be there, to be present with you. And that's what you hear in this, this heavy psalm as it begins, this deep need of God's people to meet with him. If you look back at verses 1 and 2, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Please hear me. They were going up in order to meet with God. God, would you hear us? Would you hear these songs that we sing to you? We want to prepare room in our hearts for you. Would you meet with us, please? 
I think a great thing that we always need to remember, especially in this season, is that God hears our greatest expectations and sees our deepest needs. That God hears our greatest expectations and sees our deepest needs. You see, as they would ascend annually for those to celebrate those three feasts that had those three themes to it, they were celebrating what God had done in the past. God, you forgave our people. You passed over them. God, you dwelled among us. God, you revealed yourself to us. And we celebrate what you've done in the past. But God, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Do it again for your people. Do it for us. Do it for me. May I sense, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you forgive my sins? Would you dwell with me? There's this deep longing that God would do it for them. They knew God could because they're celebrating what he had done in the past, but they're asking for him to do it again. And it wasn't so much about the words that they sang as they sang these songs, but it was more about the attitude of their hearts. And I broke down verses one and two for you. This is on your sermon notes. Just because I want to, I think it's important to understand the heart that these people had as they ascended and they were asking for God to do it again, to meet with them again. And I put this on there, there's expressions of great expectations and I just broke it down so you would understand their hearts. They had humble hearts when they say, out of the depths I cry to you. They, they were humble. They weren't demanding of God. And you're, we're gonna study an awesome psalm coming up next Sunday, you, you won't wanna miss, that speaks of the humility as we approach God. Uh, their cry was urgent. I cry to you. These weren't tears, these were screams. And you scream when, they, when you, there's something urgent. You've got to do something about this. And so it's, there's an urgent heart. Uh, they were, it, their plea was very direct to you, O oh Lord. Not, a, not a, a shotgun prayer, not a, oh God, if you're up there. It was, oh, oh God, to you, O oh Lord. It was direct. It was reverent. It repeats, oh Lord, again. And that fits, obviously, with the humility. It was personal. Here's my voice. My, my voice. I li- hear my voice, because I'm asking for this particularly. Not somebody asked for this for me. Please. It was, I am going to God directly. Please hear my voice. It was desperate. He says, hear my plea for mercy. My pleas for mercy. Only you can have mercy on us, oh God. So I want you to sense this desperation. This desperation that they had they had wanted God to do it again. They had wanted God to meet with them. They had wanted God to forgive them. And they've been asking for this three times a year, year after year after year after year. They're going up, they're singing these songs. And remember what I told you earlier, the longer you wait, the greater the expectation. The longer you wait, the more detailed your expectation. That that depth just grows deeper. And they've been doing this for hundreds of years celebrating what God had done, but would you do it again for us? And then God hears their prayers. 
You see, God responded to those prayers and our prayers as well. God responded to our deepest needs by sending his son to exceed our expectations. Yeah, bring the house down. That's all right, guys. I like mood lighting. You're sensing it. We'll, we'll just keep going with it. So God responded to our, yes, Lord, what do you want to say? I can shut it down. God responded to our deepest needs by sending his son to exceed our expectations. So again, for hundreds of years, they're, they're marching up, asking for God to do this, to do it again. And he meets their needs at just the right time by sending his son. In fact, Galatians chapter four, verses four and five says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons and obviously as daughters as well. That at just the right time, after hearing all of these pleas out of the depths, at just the right time, God sends his son. Now, why did he send him at that particular time? Now, there are some very logical, historical reasons, and I want to give those to you, but I want to add one as well. The logical, very historical, very true reasons why I believe that it was the right time for God to send his son was, first, the, the Romans had provided a great time of peace, Pax Romana. They had, obvious, they had also set a bunch of trade routes that, people, that news and information, obviously commerce as well, could travel easily. So all of the infrastructure was in place for the gospel, the message of Jesus, to spread. They, it spread also through, the Greeks had provided a common language, a common language throughout the known world. So that would have been easy to spread as well. And then, obviously, the, the way that God had revealed himself, the Jews had recorded all of these prophecies of Jesus so that people shouldn't miss what he was saying would come. That would be his son. And so all of these things line up that these expectations prophetically, they've got the language, now they have all of the means and the trade routes for the message to spread, and God sends his son at that time. All of those are very true, and, and, and you should uh, believe those. But here's one that I want to add. Because in reading this Psalm of Ascent, I wonder if it was the right time for God to send his son because he had heard the depths of their cries. That for hundreds of years they were asking for this, and finally God was like, I hear your cries, and I'll send my son to not only meet your deepest needs, but exceed your expectations. And here's why I say that. Because all of these feasts that we're talking about, that, they are, that they're, they're going up to Jerusalem to celebrate, all of them had to do with Israel's time coming out of, in Egypt, but also coming out of Egypt as well. And it just made me go back and think about the beginning of Exodus. And if you remember the beginning of Exodus, that the people are enslaved, it seems like the expectations placed on them are getting harder and, and more stringent and rigorous, the, rigorous the, the work is just getting tough for them. And they're crying out to God. They're saying, we can't handle this anymore. And in Exodus chapter three, verse seven, God says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry, and I know their suffering. And he responds. This, this, this desperate plea, we, we can't do this anymore. 
we need somebody to save us from this. And I wonder if it was the right time, not only because of the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans, but because God's people were crying out, we just can't do this anymore. God, would you send someone to forgive us? God, would you reveal yourself to us? God, would you dwell amongst your people, please? And he sends his son to meet those deepest needs and to exceed our expectations. And so what I wanna do is I wanna go throughout the rest of Psalm 130 to show you what their expectations were, to show you what their longings were, and then show you how God sending his son Jesus met those deep needs and exceeded their expectations. So look back at verses three and four. As they're crying out, saying, hear my voice and my pleas for mercy. They say, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, then, then who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. When God sent his son Jesus, we find that he forgives our sins. With Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. Remember, each year as they went up to the Passover feast, they would go up to, to certainly celebrate, but they would sacrifice a lamb. They would sacrifice a lamb as worship to God, but also to remember that what happened in Passover because the blood that went on the doorpost was the blood of a lamb. That's what they would, they would take. And they would go up year after year after year and buy another innocent lamb and sacrifice it. It, it, that, that, that symbolized the transference of sin, that they would be forgiven for their sins for the, the past year. And they would say, God, would you be merciful to us? Because we know if you marked iniquities, then who could stand? None of us could. And so they would take another lamb the next year and sacrifice that lamb. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine what that was like? You would you would hold that lamb, that innocent lamb, and you'd probably even be standing in line of people who were holding those lambs to go and sacrifice that at the temple. And you just hear the bleats and the screams of these lambs that are going in to be sacrificed. Why? For people's sin. That's what was happening every year. And you go and you sacrifice this poor lamb, and then you come back, and, and because we're all sinners... You go back and you do it again the next year, and it's another lamb, and the next year, another lamb, and another lamb. And you just go, how many more lambs have to die? I mean, doesn't that get old? Doesn't that get hard? Doesn't that get heavy? And then God sends his son, Jesus, and he shows up in John chapter 1, and John the Baptist sees Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Lamb. No more lambs. That's the one and only who can take away all of our forgiveness, all of our sins, who all of our sin is transferred onto him. And he is the one who sacrificed. And he didn't bleat and he didn't scream. He was silent like a sheep before his shears. He didn't resist to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. 
when the people are crying out and they're longing, God, if you mark iniquities, we can't stand before you. But with you, there's forgiveness of sin. And that was realized in Jesus. And so what I would hope that you would do is that you would confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive. Confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive. There's no amount of works, there's no amount of good behavior that you can do. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That's what Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 tells us. Blood has to be shed, and Jesus has shed his blood once and for all for you. And if you confess your sins, he's not only faithful to forgive, but he's just. What does that mean? It means that he still required blood to be shed, but the blood of his son was sufficient to pay for your sins, past, present, and future. It's the only way that you can be made right with God is by believing in the penalty that he paid for you. His, what he paid for you was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sin forever. Would you place your faith in Jesus Christ today? Confess that you're a sinner. Begin a relationship with God today. And if you've done that, confess your sins. Don't carry them around anymore. There's no sacrifice that you can make that is sufficient or that's big enough. There's no need to beat yourself up. Ask for forgiveness, and he's faithful and just to forgive. You know, one of my favorite Christmas carols, songs, hymns, whatever you want to call it, is Oh Holy Night. We're actually going to sing it right after the sermon if I land this plane. Uh, but I love it because there's a line in there that gets me every time. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Like you, like you, you may not know what you're worth until you realize that he sent his son for you. No more lambs to pay for that stuff anymore. His son, the most precious, most priceless thing that he could ever give, that's what appeared. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what is yours. See, the expectation was great. God, we can't stand with you, there's forgiveness, and he exceeds that, that we don't have to ascend to ask for forgiveness once a year into Jerusalem, but he descended to us to offer us forgiveness forever. Second, look at verses five and six. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. See, what we find is that there was this great expectation of, of God, would you restore us? Would you restore us to a right relationship with you? And then he sends his son, and with Jesus, there is hope for our future. There's hope for all the things that we would hope that we'd be restored to him, the things that he would restore to us. There's hope for our future. You know, the psalmist describes this waiting as a watchman who are waiting for the morning, and you know this uh, well enough that back in a ancient days, there would be watchmen who would watch over the city. They would watch the walls of the city, and obviously a city was more susceptible at night. 
enemies would attack under the guise of darkness. And these watchmen were, were waiting for the morning sun. Why? Because light was their greatest weapon. Light would reveal any, any attack, any enemy that's coming, but it would also provide warmth. And for the watchmen who had the night shift, it would provide rest because as soon as the sun would come up, there would be a change that they no longer had to keep guard, but they could go and they could rest. They were hoping that the sun would rise. God, we wait, we watch for you like watchmen for the morning, and it repeats that phrase again, that Lord God, we hope that what you say will happen will happen. Will that be restored to us? Will you come again? Would you reveal yourself to us like the, like the sun reveals itself every day? Would the sun come up? And then you see Jesus show up on the scene in John chapter 8, verse 12, and he says, I am the light of the world. No more darkness with him. Now you have the warmth of the sun. Now you have the protection of the sun as you hide in the light of the world. And so with Jesus being the hope for the future of the things to come, would you rest in God's word as you wait to find him faithful? And I don't know what you're waiting for. Maybe it's a promise of God, but he is faithful to his promises, as faithful as the morning sun. It rises every day. He is faithful to his promises. Do you need an example of that? Think of all the prophecies about Jesus foretold of him before his birth, and he came. Sure, there was a waiting period, and that grew people's expectations, and he sent a son and exceeds those expectations. I love what Psalm 84, 11 says. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. And I love that because I just told you, the sun is the greatest weapon of a watchman. But the shield as well, because he shields us even in the dark times. And maybe you feel like you're waiting in the dark with the Lord. He's a shield, and he's the morning sun. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold those who walk uprightly with him. Continue to walk uprightly with him and wait for him to be faithful to his promises because he is faithful as the morning sun. Rest in him. And then finally, look at verses seven and eight. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. With Jesus, there is assurance of redemption. You can sense security in your relationship with him, assured of what he will do in the future. Not just a hope for the future, but an assurance in your future, for your future. That God dwelled with us and his promise to us is that we will one day dwell with him. And we can be assured of that because of his word. And he promises that, that within him there is plentiful redemption. You see, when he appeared, we felt its worth. Our soul felt its worth. And so what I would hope that you would do is you trust in him and you trust in his unfailing love, this hesed love, this love that doesn't quit and this love that is based on his character 
is that you would unwrap his unfailing love for you each and every day. Unwrap his unfailing love for you each and every day. Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 and 23 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that. That his mercies to us are new every morning. There's something to be new. There's something to be realized. There's something new to be experienced. Something new to grasp. Something new to unwrap about God's love for you. And obviously, I was thinking about Christmas as you will probably be unwrapping a gift or something in the next few days. And I was just thinking, that's why I put unwrap his unfailing love for you, because as I was studying this on Monday, I was just putting this, this together and thinking about these different categories, like God's forgiveness, these things that people hope for, the Passover lamb, he's the lamb that takes away our sin, this hope for the future. God, would you reveal yourself to us as realized in Christ, that he revealed him, he is the image of the invisible God revealing himself to us. As I thought about this, this tabernacle, God, would you dwell with us? And God came to dwell with us, and he promises that we will one day dwell with him forever. I just thought about these things, and I'm like, man, what gifts? I, I, I was undone when I was looking at this. I, I'm just like, why would you give this to me? I mean, I'm still stuck in the verses one, two, and three. Out of the depths of the Lord, I cry to you. If you hold iniquities against us, I can't stand. But with you, but with Jesus, there are these things. And I just thought, you know what I'm gonna do? You don't have to do this. This is what I'm gonna do. Before Christmas morning, I'm gonna write three cards to myself and say, Cody, with Jesus, there's forgiveness of sins. And I'm gonna seal that envelope and I'm gonna put that under the tree. I'm gonna make one and say, Cody, with Jesus, there's hope for your future. I'm gonna seal it, I'm gonna put it under the tree. Cody, with Jesus, there's assurance of redemption. Seal it, put it under the tree. And I'm gonna open those on Christmas morning. I mean, who needs dress socks, you know? I mean, I, you open those? I, I Actually, I'll be honest with you guys. I prayed this week that you would be disappointed with everything you open on Christmas morning compared to this. I hope you get what you want for Christmas. <laughs> Not a Scrooge, that much of a Scrooge. But that you would realize all the things that he's given to you. <laughs> he doesn't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing that he needs. He doesn't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. He just wants you for his own, more than you will ever know, 
make his wish come true because all he wants for Christmas is you. God, we thank you for your son. I thank you that you had your people sing this song for hundreds and hundreds of years. Would that song be number one in our hearts this Christmas as we realize everything that you've given us in Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.